for sure, condo market is a little bit saturated right now. We're seeing new towers being built. Now, some of those towers being built are, are being held as rentals, which I think is a big push currently, especially with the affordability levels and also the ability to get financing with younger generation coming up. I think there's a push for that. It just goes to the current market that we're at. Eventually, the condo market will turn around, but the inventory levels are quite high in terms of what's for sale. Hi, I'm Jason Scott, and welcome to I Love Edmonton Real Estate. My guest today is Josh Cudmore from Initia Real Estate, and he's based in Edmonton, of course. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thanks, Jason. Nice to be here. So uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, Josh. How did you uh, become a realtor, and how are things going? Uh, things are going really well. To date, I've got a little bit of a past in terms of how I became a real estate agent. Uh, I was in the new home warranty business for about 10 years. Gained industry knowledge, real estate knowledge across Western Canada as majority of my clients, or I'd say majority, all my clients were developers. Okay. So being exposed to real estate markets across Western Canada gave me a lot of uh, experience, so to speak. Mm -hmm. During that time, I started to commence some of my own real estate dealings, such as uh, everything from investing to developing to a rental portfolio, which naturally led me to becoming a real estate agent. Okay. So let's focus a little bit on new home warranty to start. A lot of people aren't aware of what new home warranty is or does. Can you give us a quick rundown on that? Yeah, basically in a nutshell, and and, uh, home warranty has been around for quite some time. In 2014, the Alberta government made it into a legislation where every builder developer was required or is required to carry the legislative new home warranty coverage. Okay, so every new home being built, doesn't matter by who, they would have to carry the specific warranty laid out by the government, right. um, which obviously transfers over to the consumer. Right, right. So from a mortgage broker perspective, when I have clients who are buying a newly built home, the lenders want confirmation that the home has been enrolled in new home warranty or a new home warranty Correct. program. Why is it important to the consumers and I guess ultimately lenders as well? Well, ultimately, it's just it's consumer protection, right? So at the end of the day, there's an obligation of the developer to look after their client for a period of time. It's a basically one-year materials and labor coverage, two-year mechanical, five-year building envelope, and then 10-year structural. Okay. Okay. So at the end of the day, if a developer builder does not rectify or look after what they need to be addressing, then ultimately, it's a home warranty provider that'll step in. And, and rectify those items okay. if they're deemed that they're warrantable. And obviously there's a performance guide and there's some rules and regulations involved in terms of what would be a home warranty issue or what would necessarily be a contractual issue. Right. Can you give me an example of a past situation you were involved in where, you know, here's the issue, here's how what went wrong, here's how it got fixed kind of thing? Well, you'd actually, a lot of the stuff, you know, that I guess when I was in that side of the business, a lot of it is fit and finish. Okay. You know, in the first year, you're going to get some settlement issues and stuff like that. You know, another a key component too, especially when we're referencing multifamily, would be the building envelope. Okay. You know, prior to 2014, you would see a lot of four-story buildings, so to speak, where all of a sudden, you know, the building's four or five years old. And now these purchasers are getting special assessments because now they need to redo their building envelope. Right. Their issues with stucco or whatever. Absolutely. So that exterior cladding component. So with the home warranty, that was, I would say, if, if what was the, the most significant advantage would be that 
um, specific coverage for condos, but also for single family homes. Right. Just because, you know, if, if you got a 60 unit building and your building envelope is uh, compromised, it's not going to be a, a cheap repair. Yeah. Now there's limits that come with the legislation in terms of how much coverage there is. Yeah. But obviously it's quite a bit more extensive than what it used to be before 2014. Right. Okay. So then you got involved in developing your own properties, et cetera, or buying rentals? Or how, how did you actually transition from new home warranty to real estate? Stuff, so everything from investment, you know, to buying older houses, renting them out if I could see a, a good opportunity for cash flow. Um, also properties that are good for future development. So stuff that's closer to downtown, inner city locations or is mainly what I would focus on. And then, you know, one project would, you know, develop, maybe keep it as a rental. Again, if I saw it as a good rental potential, maybe, you know, this particular property is close to Nate, right? So I know I can attract a good uh, tenant um, based on, on location. Mm-hmm. And then also just my primary residences and things like that. I currently live in a skinny house near downtown. And so there's been a huge push for that over the years. Now there's a little bit of uh, inventory sitting on, I guess that most, a lot of people are sitting on right now, but we're starting to see that stuff get absorbed. Mm-hmm. But um, reality is I think it's a, it's a great avenue for people to get into inner city and to get into a newer, newer house. Right. Okay. So let's, let's focus on real estate sales and then we'll tie into what you're doing on the uh, build side of things. So in terms of, you know, your personal realtor business, is there a, a particular type of client that you focus on? Um, I, I do everything, basically anything around the city. Mm-hmm. I, I obviously do quite a bit of inner city stuff when it comes to real estate, but I do stuff in, you know, Windermere and new subdivisions, mm-hmm. St. Albert, you know, Spruce Grove, Stony Plain. Mm-hmm. So I am quite diverse in, in all locations around Edmonton. Right. Okay. Yeah. What are you seeing as a market trend, say, if you look back on your last five or 10 transactions? Um, well, we're obviously still, as you would know, Jason, in, in a buyer's market. We're starting to see some slight stabilization, but obviously it's still a great time to be buying real estate. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to that, you know, whether you're buying or selling, if you are selling, you need to be priced competitively to, you know, give yourself the right opportunity to get the top dollar that you're looking for and also to move it in a timely manner. Mm -hmm. So city property tax assessments just came out this week. Yeah, (laughs) I wasn't too happy to see what my assessed value came in at. It was like 60 grand less than uh, the year before. Yeah. What's your take on that? Well, you know, that the the mass appraisals they do to determine the tax assessments, it gives you an idea of what, you know, your property is worth. But at, you know, the end of the day, it's important, I think, that you would, if you were wanting to get a true value, that you do a market analysis or get a real estate agent to do a market analysis for you. There's a lot of factors that take into play what your actual property is worth. Yeah. So to a certain extent, you know, they're important to look at city tax assessments, but you also have to take them with a grain of salt as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Are you seeing any segments of the market right now that are sort of standing out in terms of they're either holding value better or going up in value? It's a good question. Like I think some of the biggest areas, the, the some of the new suburbs, so to speak, are taking a little more of a hit just based on the fact that, you know, they're competing against new homes that are built five minutes down the road. Right. Right. So that poses some challenge. Inner city stuff is we've seen some price adjustment on that. There's no doubt. 
But, you know, I think those are holding a little bit stronger, especially if they're a unique property in a unique area, mm -hmm. just based on the fact that it's supply and demand, right? Mm -hmm. If somebody comes through that property, it's hard for them to duplicate that or find something similar. Mm -hmm. And it also attracts a certain individual that wants to live in that area. Then, you know, the, the probability of that holding its value or selling quicker is a little obviously a better better chance of that right okay yeah now so you know over the past few years you've gotten involved in the construction side of things where you're working on projects building infill homes is that correct yes correct yeah okay so what sorts of areas have you been or neighborhoods have you been targeting to do those infills and why those neighborhoods so, so some of the few that we've we've done over the last couple of years have been very close to downtown, like areas like Westmount um, in Glenora. I actually personally live in Westmount. Primary reason for those locations, obviously, they're very sought after neighborhoods close to 124th Street. You know, the development of the brewery district, which is very appealing to a lot of people. Also, the proximity to, you know, going to downtown if you work downtown or if you're a downtown professional or just simply if you want to enjoy the restaurants and uh, you know go to the Rogers Center hockey games that type of thing mm -hmm. now if we go south of the river areas such as Forest Heights Bonnie Doon Ida Wild, King Edward Ritchie, Abenmore. Yeah. Those are all, you know, sought after neighborhoods as well because they're close to the River Valley. Right. And also something to consider is the future development and LRT expansion at the Bonnie Dune Mall. Right. You know, that looks like it's going to be a significant project at the mm -hmm. end of the day. And it'll be a destination point and also, you know, easy for people to get around the city when you have an LRT stopping right at the Bonnie Dune Mall. Right. Yeah, and if you look, you know, the last few years, there's certainly been lots of infill happening in that neighborhood as well as the other neighborhoods that you've mentioned. Correct. Proximity to downtown, you know, 10, 15-minute drive tops. Yeah. Obviously, that's a big winner for people. Correct. When you look at those properties that are slated or ideal properties to be replaced with, you know, infill, what's that property profile typically look like? So, you know, if I'm if I want to replicate what you're doing, what am I looking for in a property? Well, if you're depending on what you would like to do, if it's a deep, you know, a, a duplex or two skinnies or a larger house, the biggest thing that's going to come down to is lot size and zoning. Okay. Well, so those are the two top things that you would need to look at. For an example, if if you want to subdivide a lot to build two skinnies, at minimum you need is a 50 wide lot. Okay, and obviously now depth's important because then with site coverage, you need to know how big of a house you can build on there. And then also if you want to do a duplex or triplex or fourplex, then obviously zoning's important. You mm -hmm. need to make sure you have that right zoning. Not to say you can't go in for rezoning with the city of Edmonton, mm -hmm. but uh, I've been to a few of, not specifically for myself, but I've been to a few at City Hall where some other individuals were attempting that and it can be challenging depending on the location. Right. Okay. So in the last four or five years, we've really seen sort of the pickup of skinny houses in Edmonton. From my perspective, and I'm not an expert on building, but from my perspective, it appears that the skinny homes have replaced duplexes as the you know preferred structure of choice for builders and developers. Why is that? Well, I think there is a component to that that would be you know true, I guess, I think it's a very location dependent, mm -hmm. right? Um, and price driven. Reality is, if if you're going to go to the market with an eight hundred thousand to you know eight fifty thousand dollar house, a lot of the population want a single family home. Right, they no don't, party wall. With don't a want a party wall. Yeah. Right. So I think that's been a huge driver. Is the fact that 
you know, on a price point perspective, people are getting a single family house, not a duplex. Mm-hmm. Now, not to say there's not, you know, duplexes selling in high price points. That's still a possibility. But I think majority of the market technically would want a single family house. Right. Okay. Yeah. So if I'm out shopping and I'm looking at skinny homes, what am I looking for in those types of properties? Yeah, it's, it's very... Uh, Consumer dependent, you know, do you like an open layout? Do you like the third story loft with rooftop patio, which some, you know, um, guys are building for that extra square footage? Do you want a finished basement? Do you like the traditional? Do you like the very modern style, which a lot of guys are doing? So it's it's kind of very, I think, location dependent. I've been saying that quite a bit just because the reality is that depending where you're building is where you are building is mm-hmm. type of product typically you know, if it's going to be higher end or, you know, kind of medium end kind of thing. Right. So it, it really depends on the consumer. Okay. Now, in my neighborhood, there have been a number of infills, and, and by coincidence, they're skinny homes that were built in the last couple of years, but they still haven't sold yet. Is that something that you've seen in other parts or other neighborhoods? Yeah, I think just with the way the market is, especially over the last couple of years, being a buyer's market. And also, you know, when we look at infill in Edmonton, it, there always was a little bit, but it only really became really popular, I would say, over the last five years, mm-hmm. maybe seven years. So there was only a handful of guys doing it at that point. Obviously, with the way Edmonton was transforming the downtown core, improving significantly, we're seeing a, a push of a lot more people wanting to come into the downtown core. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, there was a bunch more people doing more development inner city, which caused a little bit of uh, influx of inventory. Right, so more supply. Now that we're just sitting on a little more supply, and I right. think that's probably explains that. It's just there's there's uh, more developers now that are focusing inner city. Right. One of the criticisms I've heard when it comes to infills like that is okay, you know, the idea of of having greater population density in the downtown core is obviously a good thing. The challenge that people run into is the price point, right? It's a much higher price point, presumably because your land costs when you're first buying that property to do the build is, you know, not insignificant. It's probably what, 400 grand for a a lot these days. Yeah. Depending on the location, they can vary, you know, in Glenora, they could be 500 to at one point they were pushing the 600,000 right. mark, right? So I think that's obviously been a huge indicator of, of where the end price point needs to be once you complete a project. Right. So then coming back to the criticism, it's that, yes, you know, families or young professionals who want to have families want to move into those properties, but the price point's too high. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is a challenge for sure. And then if you were to flip the coin... You know, a lot of these houses have hit a lifespan, right? Where, you know... You mean the existing house? The existing house, right? So now we're sitting on a house that's, you know, it's it's seen its days. And not to say you can't do a renovation, but then, you know, if you're going to spend four or $500,000 house and basically you're ripping it right down to, to nothing... You know, now you're still sitting at an eight, nine, right. nine hundred thousand dollar house, right? Where this gives an opportunity where somebody can split and, and create two, two houses. Although that doesn't necessarily help the affordability, mm-hmm. but also you don't need to be in some of these areas to get into a skinny house. You know, you can go further west. You can go into you know areas like West Jasper and things like that. 
just because it's just based on the price of land. Mm-hmm. It just obviously comes down a bit more. Yeah. Now, I know there's been a few uh, neighborhoods or community associations where they've been reluctant to have lot splitting and, and infill going on. What's your take on that? It's a great question, and I kind of see both sides to it. I think there's certain areas of the city where arguably should you be able to subdivide a lot? I don't know. You know, let's talk, you know, if you want to reference or old Glenora, right? You know, I know they really want to keep that historical view of the area, which is understandable. You know, at the same time, for somebody to take an, an older property from a development aspect, you know, the numbers need to, to make sense as well. I think a potential solution to that would be maybe in certain areas, there's architectural guidelines. So mm-hmm. if you want to do a development, the city establishes an architectural guideline specific for that area. No different than what a developer, a land developer would do in Windermere, for an example. Mm-hmm. If you want to build a house there, you got to follow some rules. Mm-hmm. So that could be a potential avenue to help solve that issue. At the end of the day, I don't know if there's ever going to be a solution to appease everybody. But, um, yeah, I think, again, there, there's some areas where, you know, I, I understand why some people potentially could be frustrated with it. Right. Yeah. So speaking of like development opportunities and, uh, you know, large scale infill, what's your take on uh, the old airport lands? So the Blatchford development that the city's been working on for a few years now? Yeah, I, I think it's going to, you know, it's obviously it's, it had a few hiccups and it's taken some time. But now obviously driving by, you're seeing some progress there. I think it's great. I'm, I'm very uh, I'm big on you know, the downtown core growing because I think it's only good for everybody involved. And they're going to create a little bit of a community there. From the renderings, looks extremely tasteful. So I think it'll be a, a, a great project being so close to downtown, Nate, and access to the Yellowhead. Yeah. So people can get around the city pretty yeah, quick. For sure, close to Royal Alex Hospital Absolutely. and so forth. What are you seeing right now with the condo market? I mean, there's a bunch of new buildings coming on. And as much as downtown's revitalizing, et cetera, I mean, it would seem to me that we've got a big time oversupply of inventory there. Yeah, for sure, condo market is is a little bit saturated right now. You know, we're seeing new towers being built. Um, now, some of those towers being built are, are being held as rentals, mm-hmm. which I think is a big push currently, especially with the affordability levels and also the ability to get financing with younger generation coming up. I think there's a push for that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, again, it just goes to the current market that we're at. Eventually, the condo market will turn around, but the inventory levels are quite high in terms of what's for sale. Mm-hmm. When you're taking out buyers these days, what are they telling you that is the most important factor for them when they're making decisions? Well, they have options right now. They don't feel pressured to just jump on something because it's going to sell later that day, right? So people right now, you know, if it's their personal house, reality is they're looking almost for like the perfect house for themselves, mm-hmm. right? So, and also they want to know the investment they're making today, you know, is it is it going to be a good investment down the road, Right. And now to answer that question is very, I think, location dependent, mm-hmm. right? So they just want to know that it's a sound investment and then they're going to be happy living where they are living. But again, it goes back to if it's their personal house and they're not going to be there long term, then they should really look at the locations and where they're buying because they necessarily may not want to be competing against brand new houses a year or two years from now. Right. Yeah. 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 Now, from a personal perspective, 
Tell me about the most frustrating day you've ever had as a real estate agent and what you learned from it. Uh, in real estate, there's for sure ups and downs. You know, I think probably the, the one that stands out the most is, you know, when you have a listing that's been uh, challenging to sell. And especially there's been some of those lately with the current marketing conditions. And then you've, you've got a conditional offer finally. And the last hours, it falls apart. Right. right. Usually because of financing. Which is, yeah, quite common yeah. today. And obviously, the name, you know, the, the, it's probably not as frustrating as it is for the client. But, you know, obviously, having to communicate the bad news doesn't feel the best either. Right. How do you try to mitigate situations like that? Uh, we try to stay ahead of it as best as you can, especially if there's another agent along bringing the buyer. You know, obviously, you know, you might want to ask, you know, how strong are they financially? Have they been pre-qualified? Just some basic questions just to kind of make sure they're a qualified buyer, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no guarantees with yeah. that, obviously. But yeah. I think if you could ask the right questions on the front end, that could help facilitate maybe a smoother deal. Mm-hmm. Have you had any multiple offer situations lately? Um, not in the last few actually not not too many in the last few months but they've I've definitely had some last year for sure yeah surprisingly I've had a few lately yeah. so uh, I think it speaks to if, if it's the right property and it's priced well there's lots moving around right now yeah. especially in the three to 450 range right absolutely and there's a strategy too where maybe you have it um, you know listed a little bit less than market value so to speak mm-hmm. and then you're gonna obviously create a lot of activity around that property which in turn, could turn into very beneficial to the seller. Yeah, for sure. When did you know that uh, being involved in real estate was the right career move for you? It was a big decision for me, you know, but I I felt it didn't take long. You know, even through the process of getting licensed, I never felt like it wasn't the best direction. The first week I was licensed, I did a deal the first week. No, good for you. So it was at that point, you know, I think was really the the huge indicator that I was on the right path in terms of the direction I was going with it. And reality is it's something that I enjoy doing every day. And, you know, if I can help somebody, if I can provide some knowledge to help them make some good real estate advice, that's very uh, rewarding to me. Perfect. If you looked at your last five to 10 closings, is there a story that comes out of that situation that would be of interest to a buyer or a seller? Was there something unusual that happened? I think on when I, I guess when I, if I were to talk on the listing side, I think it's important to have your property listed at the proper price point because people will tell you and you will read about it. But if it's priced properly, chances of you getting a higher price point for that in the long run is going to be better off than you trying to overlist it. And it sits on the market for four to six months. Right. So as an right. example, if you had a property and you could list it for 450 or 430, you're saying just start at 430 and you're going to end up with a better end price? Yeah, ultimately not all the time, but there's a strong probability if 430 is truthfully the market value for that. Mm-hmm. And then by reality is you're like, you know what, though, I paid 430 for this thing five years ago. I really want to try 450. Mm-hmm. If the market's saying 430, you're better off listing at 430. That is just basically you're going to attract more people into there, especially with the inventory levels. You don't want people overlooking your property. So I think the way the market is, and if you are going to sell your property, I think it's extremely important that it's priced well. 
And I know that's difficult for some people because, you know, they may have paid a little more for that. Property. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I think, sorry to cut you off there, just, but I think some people need to consider too is if you've lived in that house for a period of time, you've paid off some equity in that property. So I think that's something to consider too. Mm-hmm. I would think in the market right now that, you know, all things being equal, you got two or three houses in the neighborhood that are very similar. You want to make sure that yours shows impeccably Correct. to stand out right now. I mean, people, if people are in a position where they can be choosy, they don't want to have to put work into a new property potentially. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the other thing on, you know, working with buyer clients, everybody's extremely picky because there's, there's lots of inventory and, and, and reality is pe- most people want a turnkey property where they could just step in and they can live in there. So if it's not impeccable, so to speak, to their standards, they're just going to move on to the next property. Mm-hmm. So Josh, let's say you had relatives in another city in the country. And so you're not licensed there. You're not in a position to personally help them out. How would you recommend they go about choosing a realtor? What, they, what should they be looking for in a realtor? Well, I think first and foremost, obviously, real estate knowledge would be obviously the number one, making sure the agent has uh, a strong understanding of what the marketplace is doing, obviously locations in the city, and also to help determine locations and so on. They should be able to ask you the right questions to kind of figure out exactly what you're looking for and get the insight that they need to kind of steer you in the right direction to make that uh, real estate decision whether it's a personal home or a real estate investment. And then the, you know, the other thing I think is obviously honesty and integrity would be obviously critical. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah. Any, any other thoughts or comments before we wrap up? No, I think that's uh, perfect. Thank you. Thanks okay. for having me. Josh, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Yeah.